Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today, I have to tell you, I've been excited about a lot of podcasts, but today... When you guys hear about this new book that we're going to talk about, I think you're absolutely going to love it. And for those of you in the entrepreneurial space or those of you that love leadership and like just personal development, you're absolutely going to be excited about this book and meeting my new guest, Frank Fiumi. Frank, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it's it. so great. I mean, seriously, I could not wait to get into this. So guys, if you don't know Frank, I mean, some of you do because you know him from i9 Sports and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But he has a new book and I can't even believe, you know, I, I didn't realize it when we scheduled this, but like today is the launch day. <laughs> this is so yes. cool, Frank. So, yes, thank you. This is awesome. Running with my head down, an entrepreneur's story of passion, perseverance, and purpose. So, okay. Before we jump into the book, Frank, share a little bit of your story and background for those that don't know you and kind of leading up to I-9 Sports. Sure. Well, here, here's my background. I grew up in New York and I've always had this just crazy passion for sports and specifically baseball. You know, I was one of those kids that turned his backyard into a wiffle ball field and all the neighborhood kids would come to my house and baseball was a big part of my life. I started playing board games. I always watched games on TV, listen on the radio. And, you know, as I grew older, I became the, I, I was the guy during college and after college that managed the softball team with the college buddies would all turn to me and say, hey, put us into a, into a league. And, you know, I was in, I went into medical sales, believe it or not, after graduating from St. John's in New York. And I had no passion for medical sales whatsoever. And the toughest part was my dad would say to me, you have golden handcuffs. In other words, you're making too much money. You could never quit. Well, that drove me even more, Justin, to say, no, I want to do what I love. I want to do something I'm passionate about. And I had no idea that sports was, or amateur sports was actually a, a business because, you know, I played in these leagues as, or, you know, managed my teams in the leagues. And I started stumbling on this fact that we were paying a lot of money to play in leagues. And I thought, if, you know, the amount of money it costs to rent the fields and getting umpires and stuff, I think I, if I treat this like a business, we might be on to something. So long story short, I start running a softball league. I grow the thing out in New York. We end up having close to a thousand teams in Long Island, became the largest softball league on Long Island. My wife and I moved to Tampa in 96. And just then uh, in the late 90s, the NFL announced that they were going to start offering flag football leagues for kids as an outreach to really get people more involved, get kids involved in flag wow. football. And, and I thought, knew, right? oh my gosh. I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've run softball leagues. I know how to run a league. Uh, the NFL is not giving you the ins and outs on how to run the business. They're just giving you like jerseys and equipment. So I started running flag football leagues for kids. And lo and behold, I started out with 100 kids and I got 600 kids. And now I've got leagues in New York, Florida. And I thought, I've got to grow this thing. But I'm not the kind of guy that was ready to open locations around the country. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that franchising had such great benefits where and what People made you think that? Like, I mean, because you hadn't well, been in the franchise space, right? I mean, no. you're medical sales, and now all of a sudden you're in sports and thinking franchise. Absolutely. See, here's the thing with franchising: where I looked at this, I didn't have a lot, a whole lot of capital to um, to opening locations, but I knew by franchising my concept because I had it proven already in two states that I can use other people's money <laughs> who are going to have skin in the game, <laughs> right? right? And of course, they're going to be motivated owners better than having an employee. Um, I knew I could 
my advantage of speed of expansion was going to be increased. Uh, and also when you're a franchisor, you can leverage staffing. In other words, you don't need as much staff because Absolutely. each franchise they, has their they own handle employees, that. right? That's right. Yeah. And there's reduced risk. So there's so many benefits of franchising. Now, I think we hit it kind of a good timing because we, I developed my company into a franchise in um, in 2003. Now, how did that how did that happen? Because you know it's easy to say, "Oh, I had an idea," and then all of a sudden it was a franchise. So, how did like talk a little bit about that process? Sure. Well, the first thing I would absolutely recommend to any listener looking to grow their business by franchising is you find an outstanding franchise consultant, a firm that that's all they do. So I found these guys called the I Franchise Group out of Chicago, led by Mark Siebert, very, very well known in franchising. I think they're really the cream of the crop. And Mark and his company within six months had me quote unquote franchise ready. Of course, they're directing me to getting the legal work done. They helped me with the structure of the franchise. But all the things, Justin, I didn't know how, like, what to charge for royalties or how to develop the systems or how much territory to give or what do I charge? All of those right. things. Just a they, little you know, they details. They helped me with. Yeah, because I didn't, I, I knew how to run sports leagues. I didn't have a franchise. <laughs> right. So you had a partner, in, which is great, right? And you think about starting any company, it's always good to have an advisor like that that really knows the space. Yeah, you, you, I think you really have to find somebody that's going to do it. Now, I know of people who have franchised their company by going to an attorney and just getting a franchise disclosure document created. That is not the way you franchise. And, I, you know, either do it right or don't do it at all because franchising is a serious commitment. You have a serious commitment to make sure that your franchisees are going to be super profitable and they can rely on you to provide them with adequate training and support. So I don't know of any franchise or anybody that's been around in franchising that simply went to a lawyer, had a contract drawn up and started selling franchises and came out the other side. No, wow. it's just, it's just so cool. And for those that don't know I nine, I mean, first of all, you've probably seen the logo or, or seen it on shirts and whatnot. But I nine sports over two million <laughs> registrations in communities across the country. I mean, and and I nine focuses on youth sports leagues, camps, clinics for boys and girls ages three and up. I mean, pretty awesome program. And I'm guessing it's even grown more since you sold it to private equity. The companies continue to grow at double digits. Feel so fortunate. You know, the guys who we sold to were involved. They were equity partners prior to the sale on a, on a uh, on a minority shareholder basis, but they've kept everybody in place. So the same exact leadership team so is rare. in place. So rare. I know, and it's still my baby. I mean, I'm sure. Up, <laughs> I was going to say it's probably tough to yeah, give that up, but <laughs> it is. You know, I'm a minority shareholder now. I'm on the board of directors. Heck, I'm even going in there next week to meet with franchisees because they're coming in from out of town and. No, I'm the founder, so That's I get awesome. to still be there like the loving grandparent. I get to go <laughs> see the kids and then give them back to mom and dad. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, I mean, I know we could spend probably an entire podcast just on I-9. I, I, in fact, we may want to do that down the road. Um, it should be kind of cool just to talk about how you grew that. And for those in the franchise space, we'd probably love to hear it. But um, I know we're here to talk about your book. So talk about Running With My Head Down. Like, How did this start? Where did this originate? And how did you determine the content for it? And I can't wait to dive in some of the lessons learned. Yeah, well, thanks. You know, Justin, here's what happened. I got to the point with running online sports that I started having this incredible amount of guilt that I think like my vision's complete for the business. Like I had a I have a great management team in place and the company no longer needed me like it used to. And I had this kind of epiphany that I had this entrepreneurial identity crisis where me and the business were one and the same, which could be really dangerous because then, you know, when you have good days in business, you have a good mood and if you have bad days in the business, you're in a bad mood. And we were so intertwined, me and the business, that I realized, hey, no, 
if you really love your business as much as you do, as much as you should do, then you give it what it needs. And sometimes that means as the owner, you need to get out of your own way. So when I had this whole epiphany about the business and realized, hey, I think it's time for me to move on. I wanted to write a book because I've never read a a business book that wasn't so much about nuts and bolts, but was more about the psychology of business ownership, what we go as entrepreneurs. So my book is really a journey. It's more of a a kind of a business book meets a memoir because I want to take the reader through my story of the challenges I went through, what I was thinking, why I did what I did. And I made tons of mistakes, but I learned from them. Well, and we I survived. Th- I'd like to dive into a couple of those. Um, let's start with some of your big lessons learned. As you know, we have a, a big entrepreneurial audience that listens to this and um, and folks that want to be in that space, by the way. But why don't we hit on a couple of the the big ideas, I'll call them, out of your book. Um, one of, I, I'll tell you, I'll pick the first one, and then you pick the next one. How about that? We'll just alternate back and forth. So talk about... Uh, this one's so interesting. Um, let's talk about pursuing your passions. And you talk about your passion priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the, the key to being successful in starting a new enterprise is hunger. Um, if you're not hungry, you're not going to succeed and you are not going to last when you run into rough spots because I don't know of a single business or any new venture, whether you're writing a new book or writing for a movie or, or starting a business where you're not going to run into issues. So you better darn well love what you do. So the passion priority is about saying, hey, I love what I'm doing. I have super. I have not just passion for it, but I have a hunger that I'm going to make sure this is going to work. Um, and sometimes that means when you have when you have you know when you have passion for something, um, you've got to surround yourself with people that believe in the vision, and no that's question. so important. It's so key. And so many organizations and individuals and and whatnot don't have a true, clearly defined, portable, messaged vision, and that's a challenge, right? Yeah. I, again, another company uh, strategy for me was to be very inclusive with my team and to have everybody involved in the strategy. I wanted to get the input of others because when I brought somebody in into the company, uh, as we grew, I wanted them to take initiative. I wanted people to be empowered and to have a top-down leadership. That doesn't work. It it's no. maybe worked 50 years ago, 60 <laughs> years ago, but it Man doesn't work today. Yeah. No. People and- want to feel like they're empowered and be be part of it. And they, when they believe in the vision, Justin, they work that much harder. I totally agree. And you feel like you're doing, you're kind of there for a purpose or they're, they're contributing to something higher. Um, and you know, what's cool about this? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're starting your own business or you're working for a big company. I mean, this, this is, I mean, you know, it's vision. All right. So um, it's amazing how people miss that for some reason, but um, all right. The next one. I love this one. Entrepreneur's identity crisis. Oh yeah, that one's rough. I know. Yeah, tell me about this one. I can't wait. Okay, so you know, I think it's normal that when you start a business, you are doing everything. Of course, right? You're breathing, eating, drinking, sleeping your business, and because of that, it's so natural in the beginning that you and the business are becoming so intertwined that you become one. So, like I said earlier, your mood becomes dictated by good days and bad days of the business. But what happens then when we had this identity crisis, where not apt to get out of our own way. We end up having to make all the decisions. We don't delegate. Uh, we have to be included in everything. We ignore input from subject experts. You start lacking formalized planning, and the business starts slipping out of control. It's otherwise known as sort of founderitis. You know, inflammation of the founder, right? Yes, but I haven't lived it, so 
I love the, I mean, founderitis. It's like, is that just the whole thinking that I, I have to do everything because it's my company, but even though I'm not the best at everything and I'm not, I'm trying to do everything. Is that what that means? Yeah. Okay. So because I was, I've been in franchising, you have to remember that I myself have been around hundreds of entrepreneurs so or wannabes that came in and invested in an I-9 Sports franchise. So I've seen people succeed and I've definitely seen them fail. The people that continue to succeed were the ones that realized that they need to hire people, that they stayed away from that mantra of, if I want it done right, I'll do it myself. No, you, you need people because you can only take your company so far. And I got to tell you too, Justin, at the same time, I've seen countless number of people who love the business. They invested in the franchise and it only got as far as they were willing to get out of their own way. And in some cases, not very much. And that's the chokehold of every business. It's always the psychology of the owner. That's so fascinating. And that, again, not just franchise, right? Anybody in the entrepreneur space. This Um, is any entrepreneur space. Absolutely. Or even a a leader, you know, that can't get her in anyway, not allow others to grow. Um, Talk about being lonely at the top. You know, we in the in any corporate environment, whether big or small, there's always that whole idea that you know the CEO is lonely at the top. But in your book, you talk about it from the standpoint of you know focus on authority and um, and being the CEO and what that means. Yeah, so this kind of comes in two flavors for me. So I experienced this, and another thing that I've never read in a book or learned in college. But so when your company first starts, right, you have a small team around you, and you tell them everything, and you're involved. They're involved in everything, every decision. You you just openly talk about ideas. But there's a point in the company where it starts growing, and the company kind of is too big for you to share all your ideas and what's going on openly because. It might affect their job. I mean, heck, I've had some crazy ideas that if I went forth, it would affect somebody's position. And I found myself as the company grew, I started to become a little more reclusive and started backing in more and more. And I became, um, I would say, a little more lonely at the top where I started feeling more in, in an isolation chamber, I guess the best way to put it. So how I got away from that is finding a peer group. I joined EO, Entrepreneurs oh, Organization. Very good. Yep. Great organization. You know, I went, went to Tony Robbins events, started finding a peers that well, people I can share ideas with and just bounce off, things off um, you know, my chest and feeling like I'm not the only person that can uh, can share ideas. that They're not going to be affected by it. You know, they're outsiders. That's great coaching. And yeah, I mean, it's easy to kind of turn inward when in fact, maybe that's the right time to turn outward, right? And look for a, a broader network. Right. And then the employees don't like it too, because they see all of a sudden, you know, Frank isn't as open or as not as joking as he once was. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. But I had to kind of protect the company because we right. were growing and I just couldn't openly share every Everything. idea that went through my head. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. You know, I, I kind of live with a mantra of like trying to be the open book and like transparent. And it's not that you don't want to be as you take on other responsibilities. It's just sometimes it's just not appropriate, right? Or it's just that there are things that are about the company. It's not just appropriate to share with the entire team anyway. Of course. Look, what if I want to hire a director of marketing and I don't have a director of marketing at the time, but I have people in marketing. Right. They would be upset if I said, I'm you thinking of hiring a director of marketing. You know, That's you right. can't share that That's or you want to so shut true. down a location and it's going to affect somebody. Right. So, hey guys, they were thinking about this. Just wanted to keep you in the loop. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't work, gonna, right? Right. <laughs> right. No, you, there are things that is as transparent as you want to be. You've got to think it through and keep it close to the vest until it's appropriate. Right. I totally agree. All right, I'm going to pick two more here. Um, this is so fun, by the way. Um, the executive burnout phase. 
something I think I understand, but I, I can't wait to hear your how you define it. Yeah. So, you know, to me, burnout means that your results aren't, they're not meeting your expectations over the long term. And I experienced burnout. I write about it a lot in the book. Again, I felt guilty about feeling burned out because I loved I-9 sports so much. And I couldn't figure out why I would take some extra t- days off. I would take an extended vacation with my family. I'd come back and I'm feeling like I'm not re-energized. And it came down to this, Justin, is that my I realized that my, my needs were not being met just as a human. And the two driving forces for me are growth and contribution. Now, when you when you're fortunate enough to have a great management team around you and they're doing all of the work, you'd like to think, oh, great, you made it to the top of the mountain. But for me, I was no longer needed as much. And I was feeling this, this burnout where I wasn't as fulfilled and I was feeling guilty and thinking, you know, maybe it's time for me to, to move on because ultimately you want to get out of your own way. And um, uh, I had to find ways of growing and contributing. Um, so I tried to be I try to be try to be more and more creative. So anybody going through burnout, I'm not saying you have to sell your company by any means, but find new new ways to create something, create a project, have a pet project in your company that will kind of re-energize you. If you're somebody like me that's likes innovating and is somebody who's more of an igniter and not somebody who's just exactly. a processes person. Wow. That's great coaching. Again, you know, great for entrepreneurs or or anybody in a leadership role. Um, because it's definitely a fact. Last one, um, and probably one of the most interesting, is the spiritual awakening and what that means and and how does that tie to self-awareness and, and whatnot? Yeah, well, the spiritual awakening that I had kind of goes back to my business coach I had through the Tony Robbins uh, company. She asked me to write a one, I had a session with her one day on the phone and she said to me, Frank, I want you to write a love letter to your business. I was like, what? what what's that going to do? She goes, I don't know. Just see what happens. I've always been really good about doing what she wanted me to do. But in this case, I had a hard time actually doing the, you know, doing the homework. She called me next week. She said, okay, did you do the homework? And she, you know, I was always automatic. I always did it. This time I couldn't do it. When I tried to put pen to paper, I saw nothing. So she says, you know what, let's give it some time. And then about two months later, I woke up and I just got on the computer and I just started typing. And lo and behold, Justin, I started writing this letter, just Dear I-9. And it was a love letter that actually turned into a breakup letter. And I was not expecting it. And basically, in so many words, it said, you know, I love you more than you'll ever know, but I've taken you as far as I can take you. I think it's time for us to go separate ways. I did not have that plan. So this was like an awakening for me that I think my vision is complete. And I learned from Tony Robbins too, that success without fulfillment is ultimate failure. And I was, yeah, it was time to move on. And that love letter ended up being a a huge awakening for me to say, it's okay. I can move on. And that's why I wrote this book. So it's my next mission in life. Just as I-9 was a mission, this is the next mission is to help entrepreneurs through their life. Well, I think that's a great segue. Um, and I mean, what great points. And again, you know, I only covered several here, but um, how can our listeners find you? How can they engage with you, subscribe, download their free um, eight steps to living a life without regret, find your book, connect with you, I mean, share all of that with our listeners? Yeah. Well, if you want to go on to my website, it's frankfumi.com. That's F as in Frank, I U M E.com. And I have an eight steps to living a life with no regret 
and it's um, some segments of the book. Of course, uh, you can also pick up our book on, on Amazon. It's running with my head down. We are also now available at all airport bookstores nationwide. That's awesome. Um, That's so great. Active on social media, Facebook, um, Instagram, LinkedIn. <laughs> Everywhere. Frank's in the <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I try to be really active on social media. I just feel like that I've my next calling is to help entrepreneurs through the current stage because, again, it comes down to the psychology of a business owner. And we've all been there where we don't know who to turn to. And I hope to be that guiding light next. Uh, I love it. It's I mean, it's such great, too. You've you got your vision and mission for yourself even very well clarified, which I love. All right, Frank. Hey, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I love this content. And um, again, I, I think there's so much else we could explore. I'd love to have you back on to cover some of those other areas but for your book i'm just real excited for you and look forward to seeing how it does thank you justin appreciate it thank you the contender cast is sponsored by henderson shapiro peck you can download additional contender cast episodes directly via the apple itunes app store the google play store spotify and other preferred podcast platforms if you would like to be a guest on the contender cast connect with us at contenderbrands.com This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.